The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. Only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks you should never try to intercept a spike. He might bite you. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I loved it when Jalen Carter tried to do that. <laughs> I, <was> so- <laughs> I, I loved it too, but no one loved it more than your friend Kevin Clark. He loved it so much because then he could run up his goofy podcast and have everybody look at me tell a story about ed trying to steal a spike that voice is dominique foxworth oh, he's back no I, I i usually don't have to introduce you on tuesdays i mean i always do but uh nick wright filled in for you on sorry thanksgiving so you could go be a family man um i'm a sorry. family man too now i thought he did yeah, a great job is. He came in even though his chief said no, he took shot. He took shots at me uh, to start. He suggested that his arguments were more cogent than mine. Other than that, he was all right, I guess. Um, he came in after Chiefs Eagles. You are coming in after the totally comparable Monday night game that is Bears Vikings. But I do think there's some really interesting things to talk about uh, with regards to that game on both sides. And then uh, later, and I'll give you a little, we do winners and woofs. I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. One of the uh, teams we'll be talking about is the Carolina Panthers, whose owner just spoke today. You can guess right now whether they fall into the winners or woofs category, I think with some ease. But we're, we're going to start with the Bears Vikings. And I want to start on the Bears side. They are the victors. Um, despite the facts, can you guess Justin Fields' air yards per attempt in this game? Oh, uh, three. 2.4. Oh, worse than three. It's the lowest of his career. This is via ESPN stats and info. 1.9 air yards per completion, lowest of his career. 21 passes thrown at or behind the line of scrimmage, which is the most in the NFL in three years. Uh, 13 screens. It felt like more tied for the most in the NFL this season. Uh, So the Bears won because they turned the ball over. Josh Dobbs, we'll talk about the Vikings and his teammates turned the ball over. Wasn't all on him. Uh, And I thought the Bears defense played well, which we should nod to because they are a much improved unit. I think from last year, from the beginning of the season, I don't think they're improved enough to save Matt Eberflus's job, who is the defensive coach, but they did look better. You have guys making plays, but the guy that I think we all care about, we cared about coming into the season that we are interested in watching through the end of the season, because it will largely uh, impact what the bears do in the future is Justin Fields. And I think it was what was so frustrating, Dominique, watching this game, Justin Fields himself turned the ball over, got a couple fumbles, was it felt like we were in the exact same place we were last season where Fields didn't look great. He looked phenomenal last week, but also the play calling was so stupid. I don't really like I, I didn't come out of that being like, wow, the Bears got to move on. Like just I, mean, I think they should, but I just want to yeah. say right, right, I didn't right, come yeah. out of that with an anti Justin Fields take. I just came out of it feeling the same frustration I did in 2022. I have been thinking about this and I, I try like I, I, I think the best thing you can do is acknowledge that you have some biases and try to control for them and not pretend like you have like some clean, pristine view of everything in sports. And like the biases isn't always a bad thing. The biases are sometimes, or not sometimes, but often influenced by your experiences. That's my setup to say, I don't know much about Justin Fields right now, but what I do know about him and what I do know about similarly positioned quarterbacks is it ain't gonna work. You know, like it just ain't gonna work. Like, I, I it ain't gonna work there. And with his talent level, I like to believe that it could work somewhere else. But that we don't got a long track record of highly talented guys. Like now, maybe you can think of guys who bounced around a few different places who weren't and then had success later, but weren't like highly touted. But like the big guys who are drafted high, normally the team that they're with will do everything they can for them to succeed, which suggests to me that they're going somewhere else is not going to make them succeed. The tough thing about Justin is he's just not flat out bad and the things around him, including the coaching around him, has been so bad. And the talent is much better than it was, but for a stretch, that was bad. And then he also shows glimpses of like last week. 
<laughs> they lost that game. But last week, amazing. Last it week. was the. I was like, what? I wonder how much they could get for Caleb Williams right now. But then it's just like, nah, this it just doesn't work, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, the, the precedent is not good when you look at, especially quarterbacks who, you know, this isn't his first season. Like if it was his first season is bad. Right. There are examples of quarterbacks who were bad one season and then went on to be much better. Trevor Lawrence most recently, right? Like mm -hmm. didn't have a great yeah. first season. There it comes. Um, but we're, 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 you know, now well into his career. And again, the circumstances aren't fantastic and the play calling isn't fantastic, but at a certain point, if a quarterback hasn't shown the ability to overcome that consistently, the outlook isn't great. It is, it, but it, like the first drive. So before the game, you and I were texting about it, and I was like, <laughs> "I'm weirdly excited for this game. Can't wait to see what Justin Fields does against these Brian Flores blitzes. Are they going to drop eight? Will he punish them with his legs? You sweet summer child. <laughs> what an idiot I was to think this would be fun. The first drive, though, it did it started look like, out good, yeah, yeah he, he was punishing them. He was avoiding sacks. He was making plays with his legs, keeping the buys downfield. You know, it was in playmaker mode. And and then it all it all fell apart. And God, that your game plan against Brian Flores should not just be don't try anything and, and just throw a million screens. I don't I mean. That's just stupid. It was stupid. It was dumb. But uh, yeah, it, to, to go back to the Fields thing, I think what's hard for him too is the question isn't should they move on from him for a rookie quarterback? It, like if this was last year's draft class, I think this would be a much more complicated right. uh, debate. But you've got two very good quarterbacks at the top of the draft. They have four, two picks, one of which now, thanks to Carolina, looks like it'll be a very likely to be one of those top two picks. And then again, Fields, is, this isn't year one, so he's drastically, not drastically, he is coming up on the point at which they're going to have to pay him. So you're not just comparing him to one of these amazing young rookie quarterbacks. You're comparing him to one of them with a, with a cheaper contract. I don't really think it's a difficult decision for Chicago especially since they also have their own first round pick, which is likely yeah. to be top six or seven at at the worst. So like maybe you don't get, um, not maybe you won't get Marvin Harrison, but uh, I mean, you could get that Penn state tackle or you could get yeah. somebody you're going to get somebody that is probably less risky a pick and more likely to be a hit. And if you get them at a high value position, I think their draft is going to fall well. And then they have another first round pick, or an extra, I think, right? Yeah, they got two. Oh, no, it was two, two twos that, and they trade around, so they got a third. But anyway, the point is, the Justin Fields experiment does feel like it's over there. The, the point I was making earlier about the biases is Justin Fields makes me want to believe that he's going to have a bunch of success at some point because of what he's able to do uh, in a, on occasions and because of his talent level. But when I try to, and because of his history in college, but when I try to strip all that away and just watch what I'm seeing, the issues that he has, that he has not corrected for me, is holding on to the ball. And yeah. we can blame people not being open sometimes, but that ain't it all the time. And, and also, throw it away. And I get it sometimes, and I saw this with... um. With Bryce Young, also, that it seems like a young person's mistake where it's like, I, I don't know why I remember this Bryce Young play specifically, but Justin Fields does it also. But it's first and 15, I think, for Bryce Young. And Justin Fields, you're in first and second down manageable situations. Give up on the play. I yes. get that you have the ability to do something magical. Save that for third down. Save it for times when you have to. Like, give up on the play sometimes. And also... Throw it to the open guy or throw a guy open. Like, it just is stressful watching him play. And you watch it from the TV copy where you can't see what's actually happening. And I, and my own bias towards players, I, I'm like, man, they can't give him no, no, no answers. They won't there give him no guys. look. There and then I go couple, look yeah. at the tape and I'm like, throw even, the ball. Even on the TV copy, you could see a couple check down options. Right. A couple plays where there were like, you know, it was first or second down and there were check down options that he was ignoring. He just moves backwards too much. It's such yeah. a dumb, it's the dumbest like commentary on a quarterback, a young quarterback who holds onto the football too much, takes too many sacks. But like, and there, again, there are, there are 
moments, full entire games like last week where he doesn't do that as much. The beginning of this game, it looked like it was you know there was some progress in that in that area, but then he regresses to some of the same issues that we've seen through much of his career. And I think you think about I made the joke about uh, Pickett that this was week one for him in his whole career because they finally started to do some different things with him. But I also feel like you could say, yeah, we'll get to it at some point. I also feel like you could say similar thing about Justin Fields, which again, could make you believe that he could be something special somewhere else. But like the reason why it's so stressful and the reason why I brought up Bryce Young was because, okay, Bryce Young just got to the league and it's human nature. Probably I've never dropped back to pass in an NFL game, but if people are coming at you who are big and scary, it's human nature to go back. Breaking yourself of that habit is probably pretty hard for a rookie or a guy in his second year. And because Justin Fields has been in such a bad situation, we've talked about this before, that I believe you need to take pressure off of young quarterbacks to allow them to grow so you can focus on one thing to work on or a couple things to work on. But he's always been in hell, frankly. And at no point does it seem like he can actually feel like that, like he can work on something but now he's in a position where he's three years in his salary is about they have the fifth year option and then salary would jump a lot and he's still playing like he's in his first four weeks of his rookie year well let's talk about field's future briefly because i think you and i seem to be in agreement that the bears should move on i think they will move on um his trade value i find i i, I do think these last uh, a few weeks of the season will probably have like too much of an impact on his trade value, but they will. Um, when you look around the league, which teams stand out to you as possible destinations for him? And again, I, I do think like whether or not that's a good decision really does depend on his trade value. Like, yeah, I'd absolutely send a mid round pick for Justin Field. That's a great trade. Do it, whatever. But you know, when we start talking about like a second rounder or even, you know, I don't think he, they're going to get more for him at this point, but it gets a little bit hazier. I mean, it feels really silly given Justin Fields' pedigree and um, the highest highs that he has. But I, I think I'm after I was doing a little research for, for this show about like other quarterbacks similarly situated having success. I was like so discouraged that you're right. Second round pick. Depends on where it is. And it also depends on where your team is. Yeah. Um, if you feel like you're a really talented team and you're a quarterback away, then bring in Justin Fields and see. Because that, if you're a really talented team, then that's your only shot at getting a superstar quarterback. So let me think. Who comes to mind? I think the Falcons always come up. That's the uh, Atlanta place. I mean, he's from Atlanta, too, right? Or he's from yeah. somewhere. Yeah, well. He's from Atlanta. He's from yeah. Georgia, I, I think. think. Yeah. 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 Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's the thing that people bring up all the time. I played in my hometown team and I didn't go there because I was like, got to get close to Baltimore. I went there because they offered me more than the Dolphins. So whether he's from Atlanta or not, doesn't matter. I think the Lions pop up as a possibility just because um, there are some golf limitations, but I see it as unlikely. The team, he just Fair beat enough. the Vikings. Yeah. The Vikings. Uh, I'm looking at the standings now. The Vikings. Eh, I don't see them doing it. Yeah, I mean, the Bucks they're not a quarterback away. It doesn't really seem like there's anybody in the NFC. I mean, if you're the Eagles, maybe you could steal them to be a backup. But I don't I don't see a spot where Justin Fields is perfect stepping in starter outside of the Falcons. I mean, the Browns, but they're very invested in that quarterback's position already. That's about it. I, I, mean, I guess you could put I, him a backup for the Colts or something. Can I sell you on the Patriots? Huh, no, you can't sell me on the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot sell me on the Patriots. I guess Cam Newton was uh was done physically, or at least his arm strength was done when he went there. But why okay, would you can sell I can I sell Patriots? you on the Patriots? Let's say giving up a third and using their first round pick on Marvin Harrison Jr. and Bill Belichick has always admired mobile quarterbacks. Um, a little sure. more interest. It's a little bit more interesting, but no, because I told you just the pre-show research, I'm jaded by yeah. it. I, it just doesn't seem like uh, it's a 
Yeah, it doesn't seem like a viable option for most people. The Falcons, uh, I think, make the most sense, not just because of the hometown thing, but because they've been the quarterback away team now for a couple of years because Arthur Smith is a more creative play caller with a dynamic run game. Um, They also had the opportunity to take Justin Fields and didn't. So I don't know if that that interest would be there. I do. Again, I I think if, if, if it is a second late second, I would do it. I think it would be worth it, even with the research. The big thing about the Falcons is you've seen them have success, or you've seen Arthur Smith have success with an athletic quarterback who is not a get-on-my-back team type of guy in Ryan Tannehill with a strong running attack. They got a pair of good running backs, uh, a, a defense that seems to be coming around and is playing better than people expected. I think you put Justin Fields in there and they can start with Lamar, early season Lamar, I mean, early career Lamar style offense and build from there. They're also just not going to be in a position to draft one of the aforementioned quarterbacks, which is why we're, you know, you're ruling out the teams at the very, very top of the draft, obviously, including Chicago. Um, And so, and it's hard to project what, quarterback free agency will look like at this point i mean we thought Kirk cousins would be an option but he's got the very bad injury although apparently you can now recover from that injury instantaneously um we haven't seen it happen yet yeah so you know Tannehill will be out there i would rather have justin fields than ryan Tannehill at this point in his career personally not everybody would agree with that in the nfl though let me tell you that which yeah um okay uh one one more quick shout out i do i do want to say the bears defense really did um make some pretty impressive plays jalen johnson with the pick montez you love that montez sweat looks i you know i've always loved montez sweat yeah um i think he's looked excellent for chicago since the trade um jalen gotta get on that jugs machine back-to-back weeks man you gotta get on the jugs That's tough. Back to back weeks, pick sixes. He put them on the grass. Kyler good play Gordon. Though. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Jalen Johnson. Yep. He's good. He's good. Kyler Gordon uh showed better hands. Who's it? Justin Jones who tipped that? That Ooh, was yeah. Um yeah, so I think the Bears defense at least is starting to look like okay, we've got some guys that we can build the f- around for future. Again, not enough to save Maddie Rufus's job. But when they said at the end of the game, um, I think it was Troy Aikman who pointed out that he was 0-9 against divisional opponents until this win. That was mind-blowing. That blew my mind. That was really bad. That'll get you fired. So, speaking of records, the Vikings, who went 11-0 in one-score games last year, are now 5-6, which, you know, we, I think, we talked about how much we love the Vikings. Um, I still have a lot of love for them. I thought the defense still played really well in this game and they deserve and what Brian Flores has done with that unit. Although I want, let me ask you about this one before we get to the Dob sanity ending. Flores blitzes fields all game, tons of success. Final drive doesn't blitz him once. How do you feel about that? Were you surprised by it? And then he punished them for it with that ball to uh, DJ Moore over the middle of the field. I was surprised by it, but I get it. Blitzing is a high-risk proposition, but if that's what you do, that's what you do. <laughs> and I I think what, he, what you're worried about in that situation is the same thing that you're worried about when you load the box against the run, while it's a similar equation where you load the box against the run, you're going to stop them for zero or two yards or they get to the second level and there's nobody there and they're going for a 45-yard run. I think that's the mindset. When you see Justin Fields, you're like, look, if we are sit back in his zone, he is going to have to get past the D-line, then the second-level defense, then the third-level defense. If we blitz, he's going to have to break one tackle, and then he's up on our secondary and anything can happen there. I think that's that's it. It's You could call it cautious or you could call it um, – scared uh, given uh, that was them right that was the vikings that had that um was that them that had that no that was the 49ers against the vikings when addison right before halftime caught that touchdown pass against zero coverage and you know i love zero coverage in all situations yeah 
I love zero coverages in all situations, but especially in these type of high leverage situations. But I do recognize, and we we see it every week, when someone loses in zero coverage, us in the media and fans, we all act like it's the well, dumbest shit you could have ever done. Like, what? In zero? Right now? Like, yeah. There, Sometimes it, you got to get aggressive. There are other things you can do other than zero. <laughs> I want to... I- Agreed. Agreed. But I, I mean, f- for the sake of conversation, I feel like that's the the most extreme options is like drop eight or zero. If you have to pick between the two, I tend to want to heat them up. That does also what drop eight or zero. It, it does capture the Minnesota Vikings in a yes. lot of ways. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think. You know, we can qu- it's tough because I think they've so outperformed um, their expectations and to some degree talent level. Although I do want to say um, the Vikings have discovered they do have good players on defense. This isn't all Brian Flores on that side of the ball. I think we've seen Josh Metellus, who was unreal in this game, mm-hmm. has proven to be very good uh, at safety. Cam Bynum up front. Did you want him? Daniel Hunter made some amazing plays as well. Ivan Pace Jr., who, you know, has been kind of a, a good find for them. So it does feel like, okay, actually they have pretty good players on that side of the ball, or, uh, and they're going to continue adding to them. Funnily enough, not their first-round picks. It's just been later-round guys who have um, been successful for them. But, yeah, it, you, I think you can quibble with it mostly because just Fields had been so unsuccessful against it in this game. Um, but that play too, like that wasn't, I, afterwards DJ Moore was like, yeah, you know, we're just improvising. We saw that the middle yeah. of the field was open. <laughs> Poor yeah. Luke Getzey in hell. Can't even get credit for the one winning play that they have. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not too angry about it. I mean, the offense lost them this game. It was you uh, being the hater <laughs> that you are. Tell you're going to tell, tell, you're going to tell the world. I am going to tell the world. Yeah. Before I, I texted text Mina before the game. Uh, a pumpkin emoji because I was like, I, I just had a feeling that Josh Dobbs was going to turn into a pumpkin tonight. I was like, the, the, and it wasn't that I was rooting for it, although me to try to frame it as me rooting for it. Hater. I was like, I was like, man, Monday night, primetime game. We're all in love with Josh Dobbs. And I've been watching all of his games, like rewatching them normally. And I told you this before is that I go back to watch his games after hearing all the hype. And I expect him to be great, but he's good for what we expect from him. And it's like, you're grading on a curve. So that's my only point was like, if you are actually giving an honest assessment of Josh Dobbs as a quarterback, it's what he is right now. It's like, eh. Not not that good, guys. Not that good. So I just thought eventually with the that we would see and there's no better or there's no no more likely time to see the the pumpkining of someone than on Monday night. So I hated to see it, but I knew it was coming. It wasn't all him. I mean, like I think the perfect uh, encapsulation of their offensive struggles was the uh, the go ball to Addison who puts the double move was I think it was on Johnson, actually. Yeah, I think it was Andre Johnson cooks him. And then you see Josh Jobs like wildly overthrow him and and the instinct is to say, Jesus, like Josh Jobs, what are you doing? And then he was already out of bounds before the ball was in the so it was like Addison also not the greatest spatial awareness. Um, and some of the the picks were a mixture of Dobbs trying to to fit balls into whole uh, windows he probably shouldn't have tried, but also, you know, receivers letting him down a little bit here and there. Um I do respect that about Josh Dobbs, though. Oh, yeah. He, he will As try. Get, yeah. Like, you, you got to try. And I also felt like there was that was it, it was the first play, their first offensive play. They took a deep shot to Addison and he had it in his hands, but it kind of got wrestled out. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it was by Johnson. It felt like that. Felt like that was it. Had he hit that pass, we'd have been off and running and it had oh, been yeah. a pastor not live evening. But it, I know that's not true, but it just felt like to me once that happened, I'm like, oh, yep. Pumpkin prediction is is gonna serve to be correct. The, the fourth down failure to Hawkinson was on Dobbs too, and you could see O'Connell after the game. He didn't say they were gonna go to Mullins, but there was a point I think on the sideline where where Nick Mullins, who was their other quarterback, was warming up, and uh, that tells me that the offensive minded head coach is not thrilled with the execution on certain plays like that. By the way, one qu- quick thing uh, before we wrap Monday night. Um, 
how much how i loved it when no i didn't love the decision by o'connell to go for it uh i can't, oh, yeah. I can't remember at what point in the game it like but i and, yeah it was, it was and, and then they even i'm sorry go ahead fourth and seven go for yep. it failure and then uh troy points out to the world the espn analytics model said punt it's like when refs call OPI. It's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Like, we're so used to the model saying to go for it and being aggressive when a coach is more aggressive than the model. It's uh, it's just a fun little plot twist. I didn't like the decision. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah I didn't like the decision either. And the funny thing in that moment was before it happened, Troy was suggesting that they were just trying to get him to jump off sides. Yes, but it was like, no fourth way. and seven. Yeah. But it's fourth and seven. So I guess maybe they wanted him to jump offside so that it, he thought so they could get it to fourth and two. And then maybe the model would have told him, they're like, nah, bleep it. We're going to go for it. Yeah. Wild. All right. So the, the Vikings still are in the hunt for the playoffs, but this was a, a big blow to their hopes and a and a win for one of the teams that we're going to mention in our winners. So let's take a quick break, come back and, and hit those guys. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpline.ma.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Okay, we are back. Um... Let's start with my winner and finish the team that I was actually alluding to is we will mention later little tease. We will obviously get to the Panthers, but um, I want to start with you could, you could, the way I, I, I phrase this is winner. The anti Matt Canada agenda Steelers fans feeling totally validated in their loud distaste for uh, the play caller, perhaps the most maligned play caller in recent NFL history. I can't That's remember right. a play, an offensive coordinator who was as disliked as Matt Canada, um, who famously did not top 400 yards during his entire tenure. Uh, so immediately he's out. It's uh, play calling duties are split between Matt Sullivan, Mike Sullivan, pardon me. I was like, where have I heard that? I totally forgot that he was the Giants uh, offensive coordinator and the Bucks for a minute in the mid, well, in 12, 2012 and then 2016 with the Giants. And then Eddie Faulkner, who was coaching running backs, who I, clearly that's been working for them. So uh, they put up 424 yards on the Bengals, the most that they've put up in five years. So you're going back to pre, pre-Canada. The last time was uh, in week 16 of 2018 against the Saints. So let's just start there. If you're Matt Canada watching that from home, not feeling great. If you're a Steelers fan, you're feeling like, yeah, we were right this entire time. Right. They, I mean, they still didn't score very many points, but that'll come along. But like I mentioned in the first portion of the show, I think that this is week one for them. 
and they are doing things that seem to make sense and are like a, a coherent plan. And so you can build on this. But yeah, to the, your question about Matt Canada, he's got to feel pretty silly right now. Even I mean, he could still. So you made the point that it extends before Matt Canada, the streak of not getting a lot of yards. But also a lot of the things that they do, I looked at all the numbers, a lot of the tendency type things didn't really change. Okay. That's a good point. So, yeah, it didn't look wildly different. Right. Uh, and as you mentioned, they didn't put up a lot of points. They were they stalled out in the red zone. But there were a few things. I watched this game. It, it should also be noted, the Bengals defense is not good. This is yeah. why coming into this game, I was like, man, there is no more lock of the week than the Steelers offense looking better. You got the Matt Canada bounce. You got the Bengals defense. feels right mm -hmm. for, a, for a big game. Uh, but there are a few things I think as a Steelers fan, you can feel encouraged by nonetheless. They are a good running team at this point. And this Najee Harris had like his first, you know, big game in a while. Um, so there's that, I think. Um, and they've, I think, you know, the, 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 you had Pickens on the outside made some big plays as well as Johnson to me the most important thing in this game and we'll see how sustainable it is was Kenny Pickett actually throwing over the middle of the field because, and I pulled this up because weeks one through 11, he had only 50 targets over the middle of the field, by far the lowest of any starter in the NFL. And then when he did throw over the middle of the field, he was the worst quarterback in football in terms of EPA per drawback, negative 11.2 expected points added over the middle of the field. He was awful. Now, some of that is because I think Pat Fryermuth was injured. He comes back in, has a huge game, very comfortable targeting him up the seams. But week 12, Throwing to the middle of the field, Kenny Pickett went 9 for 11 for 133 yards. Third knee PA per drop back. It's one game. Bengals defense. But as a Steelers fan, you have to be encouraged by that because you cannot be an NFL offense and not throw to that part of the field. And so just to see him actually do it, uh, again, we'll see how sustainable it is, but that is encouraging. I, yeah, so... I want to, so this is Wednesday when most people are listening to this. So I want to bring something new to this conversation. Attacking the middle of the field, you're right. That is huge. That is important. Using Fire Mode or using the Titan, that's important. I think you and I talked a little bit about why specifically I think that one aspect is important, especially when you are a good running team. Yes. And running the ball is great. However, <laughs> we both watched this game and thought, man, the Steelers ran the ball well. And then I go back and look at the, like, EPA results from it. It's just the fact that it's just not an efficient way to play football. Yeah. So you could be a great running team and still not be all that good at offense. So the reason why it matters, why you can attack the middle of the field, is because you are creating conflicts for the defense. And that is the biggest criticism you could make of Matt Canada. And the point that people make about him, and I think Dan Orlovsky probably – uh, made the point uh, better than I or better than anyone else is like they're just calling plays or at least he made it in a way that was catchy they're just calling plays they're not calling an offense and I think this speaks to them now calling an offense and in my view being a play caller is like a story being a storyteller you're telling a story and you're weaving throughout the um, the decisions and opportunities it's kind of like a like a gradient pattern it, it is what they are doing is like, all right, if we're going to, if we attack short now, then we need to attack deep later and then attack intermediate after that. It's like concepts of knowing that you are going, that you're going up against people and people are going to react to the last stimulus that you, the last stimulus that you gave them. And the problem with Matt Canada is he would run the ball and then throw it out. Yeah. The out challenges yeah. the corner. The run challenges the linebacker. And so when you are challenging the linebacker with a running attack, then obviously the most important thing to do is to then challenge behind the linebacker and underneath the safety. And so we saw that. And I think the, the Friar Muth is the easiest way to illustrate that, but they did it elsewhere too. And 
Yeah, I don't want to ramble on the Mina Khan no, show. No, no, uh, it's, it's your, What you're describing is a team that has actually an offensive identity. That's what they look right. like. Now, is it the best offensive identity? Is it the most successful in the NFL? Probably not. Uh, not my preseason prediction on this podcast. I think it was my hottest <laughs> take that they would have a, a top yeah. 10 offense. I don't think that's likely. Um, but Half right. It's a team that is there. The pass protection is a little bit sus, but it's a good run blocking offensive line with tight ends who can block, who then you can use in the passing game over the middle of the field. It all makes it look, it made sense. So, and I, and you got a quarterback who I think can, unlike the previous quarterback, can run under center play action. Great. Stick with it. You cannot have an offense in the NFL that does not attack the middle of the field in 2023, especially if, to your point, you're a team whose identity now is, is built around the run. So, Winner, Steelers. Uh, this feels like the time we should talk about the Panthers, though. Oh, man. As, more, uh, as a wolf. I had more Steelers stuff, but that's fine. Panthers. All right. Let's talk Panthers. I'll save it Let's for my podcast. It. No, I'll save it for my podcast. I give people to listen to mine, mine too. Jeez. I, I think I might be joining that podcast at some I point. can't wait. So, I hope so. A little tease. Um, Panthers. Where to begin? You want me to start? I'm happy to start. So, well, let's just... Okay, so for those... we should, I should just... Not everybody is glued to uh, NFL news. The Panthers owner, David Tepper, who bought the team in 2018, uh, fired his sixth head coach, if you're including interims. So I guess they're not really fired, but whatever. Uh, David Tepper fired Frank Reich. I was shocked to hear that this is the shortest tenure of any head coach since uh, 11 games who has coached a regular season game since the 49ers fired Pete McCulley. So Urban Meyer outlasted Frank Reich. That's all mm-hmm. you need to know. Nathaniel Hackett, too. Shocking, yeah. Um, so Tepper spoke today, said a lot of stuff, talked about the decision, talked about the Bryce Young pick, Um what did you make of the decision to fire Frank Reich right now at this point in the season? And how concerned are you about the future of the Carolina Panthers, given that the owner is not firing himself? <laughs> so my immediate reaction was probably like yours and probably like everyone else's to firing Frank Reich was I wasn't surprised because it had been rumors, but it still was kind of like, oh, damn, that was quick. And it suggests to me that there was more going on than just, I mean, it seems obvious that there's more going on than just the performance on the field. You don't fire somebody like that. And then it goes back to what uh, Tepper was talking about in his comments, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. But that's the first thing that came to my mind. And when it happens once, uh, you can point at that one person. When it happens a couple times and Four times, if you include his MLS ownership, he's out here quickly firing people. It feels like it is him. And that is something that you cannot change. And he does not seem like a very good owner based on the results on the field and based on the quotes that he gives, not just today, but through his time there. It does not seem like a good situation. And someone will take the job, of course, but... He's not going to have his first choice or he's going to have to grossly overpay to get somebody to come there. And what they need is a McVay style offensive guru to come in and Jared, Jared Goff, uh, what they got with Bryce Young right now and offensive guru with choices. Uh, yeah. So he's going to have to go McVay and hire a 26 year old or something who's a genius because anybody with choices is not going to go there. Do you think it's a bad job, though, because Reich's quick trigger or because it's a bad situation? Um, the quick trigger alone is not enough for it to be a bad job. So, like, I I, I didn't want to come in here and say the same thing everyone else says. So, like, I also tried to consider that Frank Reich or whatever, that situation was so bad that this was the prudent decision. I don't think that you should just stick with Frank Reich just because. I, I don't think. Like, well, you don't want to move on so quick. Sometimes you know, and you know, yeah. and you got to go. So maybe that's fine. Maybe that works. But I don't think it matters. Why? I think right now, the perception, the brand of David Tepper, amongst other potential head coaches, is he's going to meddle, and he's not going to give you enough time. 
That's all mm-hmm. that matters. Whether it was the right decision or whether um, Frank Reich was right for there or not does not matter to the people who it should matter to. I think um, the trigger stuff is tough because when you look at his individual choices, they were all correct. Like the firings, right? Like, a, right. yes, it was time to get move on from Matt Rule. Yes, Frank, I, I mean, you can quibble with whether he should have waited till the end of the season, but like, I don't think anyone was is leaping to the defense of the Frank Reich tenure in Carolina. Um, you know, the way he handled the play calling thing with Thomas, I thought that was bizarre. I remember when he, when, when he publicly gave away play calling and then took it back. That didn't make sense to me. Um, I think that there's been issues. I, the offense to, has been more about uh, roster construction than play calling has been the bigger problem, frankly. But, um, you know, again, Frank Reich, I don't think, you know, the, there was uh, anyone's watching Carolina and like marveling at the ingenuity. Um, and I think when he ultimately will probably fire Scott Fitterer, who's their GM after this season, that will be the right decision to me. The meddling thing, which is a bit of an unknown, and it's very unclear with the Bryce Young selection and all of that, how involved he was. He claims he was just came in at the end. But um, the reason he's a bad owner has been the hirings, not the firings. Like, he's made bad choices. His picker's off. And and you and I have talked a lot about hiring head coaches and how difficult it is. And I don't know. I, I, I am always very, not always, but recently over the last few years i have been very slow to praise or criticize hirings for this decision but the record speaks for itself at this point the coaching hires have not been good scott fitterer the gm has not been good shoot forget the bryce young selection it the you remember last year when it was rumored that the ram or reported rather that the rams offered like a first maybe more for brian burns and he turned that down that looks like an awful decision this roster offensively in particular was not well assembled Bryce Young has been put in a position to fail whatever you think about him as a quarterback so the fact that when you when you look at the people that David Tepper I know we're all talking about the meddling and the trigger or whatever for me he has chosen the wrong people every step of the way that's why he's a bad owner Maybe those things are connected. Maybe you feel like you need to meddle when you look over there and see how much of a mess things are, but he doesn't know or how poorly things are being uh, executed, but he also doesn't know what he's doing. Like you should start a class for people because like when I met you, you knew a lot about football for a fan, but then you like went in and started actually learning deep football stuff. This is six, seven years ago. And every year you learn more things. Like I, I think, it's possible for an NFL owner who does not understand football to learn it. They need to put the time in to do it. But I also think David Tepper just needs a handler. Like he needs somebody to help him make these decisions. He needs someone, and especially in the way that he handles the media, which again, I don't want to rush to that press conference just yet, but I know we're going to get there eventually. I'll get out of the way. Last thing I'll say though, is the Titans firing them after the Titans game was kind of the perfect game to fire them for us to get off any take we want. So you could say, well, and I watched, I just watched, rewatch it this morning and saw well-designed plays by the Titans to get easy completions yeah. and e- not just completions, easy, big chunks, like roll out throwbacks, stuff like that to get easy, big chunks. And you could look over to the other side and say, why aren't you guys doing that for them? Because the Titans have Levitz, uh, Levis, a rookie quarterback too. And he's also in a not great situation. You could look at Frank Reich and say, why aren't you doing that and blame him? Or you can look and say that Bryce Young has Chuba Hubbard and uh, Adam Thielen. While Will Levis has DeAndre Hopkins and and um Derrick Henry and say, well, why didn't you give them the stuff that they need? So after that game, it does seem like they they're in this bad spot from a lot of different uh, for a lot of different reasons. And the one thing that you can't change or that won't be changing anytime soon is the person owning the team. So he's going to keep changing everything else until something works, I guess. I'm going to talk about the Titans because I'm going to talk about Colts Titans this week because I okay. I've really there's a lot of reasons. And by the way, speaking of teams that got the higher right, I think Shane Steichen is awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I is. Love it. I'm going to talk about the Colts. Um, but yeah, those are, those are three teams, the Colts, the Titans and the Texans or Panthers rather 
are three teams where I don't think anyone looks at any of those rosters and says, awesome, right? Like they're all, they're flawed rosters across the offensively across the board. Um, but the Carolina Panthers are doing the least with what they have as well. So, so damning though, because you look at the Texans and you're like, I, I would have said the same thing about them before the season started. But now yeah. I think Tank Dell is a pro bowler. And it's Nico all Collins is good. Oh, he's is a monster. Great. He's a great player. Yeah, that's yeah, it. They're, they're, we're going to talk about them later this week. Okay. Um, very opposite end of the spectrum, but kind of some weird similarities in some ways to what we're talking about are your wolf, the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. The Bills are so tricky because uh, the Panthers are a team you look at and you're like, they're losing. Well, I mean, I, I realize their teams are very opposite ends of the success, uh, whatever. But um, I think they're in where it's a similar discussion because you're looking at the Bills and you're saying, what is the problem? Like with the Panthers, it's like, okay, well, there's a lot of problems. Who's to blame? What's, but it's similar in a way because I think we're at a similar, we're, we're looking at the Bills and we're saying, what is wrong with them? What is it? They got rid of the, what is it? What is it? So Dominique, what is it? What's wrong with the bills? Like, why are they, why can't they get over the hump? Why are they losing these big games? Yeah. I what mean, obviously they're cursed. We don't know what the city of Buffalo did, but I mean, it happened before the four Super Bowl losses and it's carried out all the way until now. They got a quarterback who you think is big enough to beat the curse, but he can't. Um, the changes that they made were not changes that any of us thought they needed from the either of the coordinators, but it's fine. They made those changes. It doesn't feel like things have actually been any different. What Josh, it, always going to come back to the quarterback conversation, but you, I think, agree with me in that, like, Josh is great. You're going to get some bad with it. If you can coach he out the... Balled out. Oh, we got a mic grab against Philadelphia. I, I I'm yeah. grabbing my mic because I've seen some yeah. uh I don't want to straw man this. I think most right. people who watch football and care about yeah, it. Yeah, but how I think it's I, but I think it's important to point out he threw a crippling interception. Yeah. Uh backed up in his own green zone, which is the other team's red zone. That's that's bad. But I, did, I think that some people could come out of this and say, and when you look at his record, because as it says behind you, wins is not a quarterback stat, but we kind of do wins impact quarterbacks legacies. And right now, the way he is perceived is like he, hold on, you hold on, what you got? No, no, keep going. I don't know. I saw you forming up to say something. So the way he per, he's perceived is going to be, around this the zero and six in overtime games and struggling in these uh one score games and it's easy to look at his turnovers and make the narrative he can't eliminate these mistakes but we have to accept that wins is not a quarterback stat and underneath the the subtext in that uh that headline is other people got to make plays you need other people to make some plays at some point and that's how i feel when i watch josh allen is Somebody got to do something somewhere. If it's defense or offense, well, somebody's got to make a play. Defense is the the been the problem. And so the I was when you were alluding to the wins and the and the quarterback stat. I mean the the issue now is that he's zero and six in overtime games, right? Or yep. yeah, whatever. And and then they're obviously like two been and these, six and one score games. I think this yeah. year. But when you look at all of them, almost every time the defense has blown it for him. And I think what's tricky with the Bills right now is we can point, we can look at this game, this loss to the Eagles, and we can say they let them march down the after the, the the defense was awesome in the first half, and then in the second half they could not buy a stop, and then ultimately, um, you know, that had, was what cost them at the end of the game, but. It's a defense that has been, you know, has lost two of their best players. Should we not praise them for what they did in the first half? I think there's been moments in McDermott's tenure where it, they, 13 seconds most notably, where he and the defense absolutely deserved the bulk of the blame. But then when I watch them in a, in a game like this Eagles game, where ultimately, you know, I mean, it, I think it was uh, Bill Barnwell who pointed out it was a, a, a backup who came in you know, the, or was it, 
No, 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 no. Sorry. That was the Chargers game. Um, the final QB draw where Hertz ran it in and the safety, I think it was actually one of their starters who moved with the motion and, and <sighs> they're not able to make winning plays in these high leverage moments on defense. And that is the, the head coach is a defensive coach. I don't know what to say. Like this is, you kind of do have to lay it at his feet. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think this is the point I was trying to make earlier is like someone else is going to have to make a play and, and you watch Jalen hurts and he didn't play better than Josh, but he made some big plays at moments, but he also got the Darius Slay interception. He also got Jordan Davis just completely dominating the line of scrimmage in the, in the second, I mean, in the overtime, he also got uh, Zacchaeus jumping up and making uh incredible pass he got Darius Slay with a very tactical grab that was impressive the inside hand grab that is hard to do in a position that the ref can't see it to break up that pass and then I try to think back to the bills and maybe I'm missing something but it didn't feel like there was those type of plays I felt like such a dork tweeting this during the game because it's the cringiest, most cliche commentary, but I was like, the Eagles just have special players who make big plays in the most important moments, and that's why they win these games. And it's yeah. such a lame piece of analysis. It's so, it's not what we try to do here at the Mina Kimes show. But when you watch them, to your point, their guys just step up. Swift. I don't know what to say. I forgot. I left. I left DeAndre Swift with a bunch of big runs, and like that's Dude, that's different. Smith as your number two. I can't. That if you want to point to one contrast between these two football teams yeah. is that they have a number two who's amazing and, and does right. really, you know, and then at the, well, I mean, the Davis thing though, again, is that on Allen or Davis, that final yeah. deep ball, it's it, a matter of debate. Um, but it's even their god dang kicker, man, yeah. little Jake yeah. Elliott, that dude made the biggest play in the game. That 59 yard field goal in those conditions was that they have guys who just do things like that. I don't know what to say. And it's ultimately probably the biggest difference between these two teams. It's not quarterback play. It's not that they even have like a star. They didn't like the pass rush and the end of the game was not able to close. It's just, there's always someone on the Philadelphia Eagles who steps up. And that is just not the case with the bills. Wait. It's just not way to go. Howie got them all over there. Got them all over there. Eventually, somebody's going to make a play. It was last week. It was um, Bayard in the end zone against the Chiefs. It's like, yeah, they just got guys. <laughs> they got them everywhere. All right. Let's wrap on a positive note with your winner. I love this one. Packers. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's way back in time now, way back on Thursday on Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Hope you had a good time, safe, fun, all that stuff. But uh, Jordan Love's been playing really well recently. I also think that, you know, I want to give some love to the defense. And the story for me of this game was the Green Bay Packers defensive Gary. front. Ooh. Yeah. And I, like this is one of those where you got to do the eye test because I think the EPA suggested something different than I actually saw because this what I went into this um, after it happened and I saw the the final numbers. I was like, all right, this Packers defense finally playing up to the level of talent. And then I was like, hey, all their talented guys weren't on the like their most talented guys weren't on the field like Zaire wasn't there. I mean, I guess uh, Savage is a bigger name, but hasn't been playing well. They didn't have Douglas anymore. He traded him away. Uh, but I watched the game and the difference of it, it they, they, they didn't shut down the Lions. They made big plays to stop drives, which is not necessarily sustainable, but it felt really sustainable because it was pass rush against what yeah. we believe to be the best offensive line in football. And that to me was like, oh, that feels like it could be a problem for a lot of people creating short fields, sacks and turnovers all because they were getting pressure against, if not the one of the best offensive lines in football. I do not think the Packers defense 
is a top 10 unit or will be. But to your point, as this team looks towards a playoff, like like they are firmly in the mix thanks to the Minnesota Vikings losing and the play over the last few weeks, and I'll get to Jordan Love, if their defense can just make a few big plays, they can be competitive. And that's what happened in this game. I mean, uh, and the, and I think the pass rush in particular is it is where they're going to hang their hat on defense because uh, Rashawn Gary is a really, really good player. Um, and then if you can get, you know, some a few big plays out of Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, who has done some excellent stuff over the last couple of weeks, um, that might be all it takes to be competitive in these games. Their defense playing that well against the Lions offense is probably more impressive than their offense steamrolling what I warned people on last week has been a not a good Lions defense. I, the stat that I think I highlighted in my, not to pat my own back, in my podcast with uh, Nick Wright, who was excellent in your stead, uh, was that the Lions have one of the worst play action defenses in the NFL, and that concerned me. Jordan Love on play action in this game. 9 for 11 for 151 yards and a 149 passer rating. Uh, if you're playing the Lions, that is something to watch going forward. Yeah. So yeah. I'm with you on that. There was a really impressive performance by the Packers defense. But I do want to praise Jordan Love. Yeah, of course. He was I, I mean, uh, awesome sorry, in this game. He's been every last few weeks that we've talked about in this show. He has been better and better. He's been like missing just a fewer throws every week. He's been a little bit more accurate. He's been better at all the quarterbacking stuff. He's been, um, you know, not leaving yards after the catch on the field. Just a little bit more every week. And then this week, whoo, he put it all together. He was sensational on Thanksgiving. Um, just looked to be completely in control of that offense. He was accurate. And he was accurate to all three levels of the field. He was making plays with his legs. But it bears mentioning, aside from the fact that Lions defense is really bad, this was the Packers offense I envisioned before the season when I said Jordan Love's in a great situation because some of those pockets you could eat Thanksgiving leftovers out of my goodness. I mean, the lion's pass rush isn't great, but did the protection finally, I was like, Oh, what a great situation for a young quarterback. He looks so comfortable back there. Yeah. That was my major lion's criticism while I was telling everyone to pump the brakes. It's like, you can't rush the passer. You're going to play good quarterbacks. They're going to eat you alive. And you, and you're going to have to win a shootout with Jared Goff, which no disrespect, but that ain't what you're looking to do. Uh, on a weekly basis, but them aside, the I think you're right. Jordan Love deserves a ton of credit. I think Matt Lafleur deserves a ton of credit too, and not just him. He got the support that you want to give to a player like that. So, um, Jordan Love like had he underthrew that deep pass, but it still was completed early wow. in the game. Yeah, yeah, to to Watson, but he was incredibly accurate. That touchdown pass um, that he threw. It's like one of those that, depending on the camera angle, it looks like physics don't uh, account for this thing happening. It's the one, the first one to the receiver, like a slant. It was amazing. And the accuracy, and that's a, a, a generally a consistent criticism of Jordan Love is his accuracy, accuracy has yeah. been inconsistent in a prompt. So for him to have that under control, huge credit to him. But I also thought like the defense helped him a lot, a lot by scoring a touchdown and by creating turnovers and giving him a short field. And I also think that there were some schemed wins for him in the passing game. I think the touchdown he threw to the tight end was like, damn, that's a nice little play. And there were a couple other plays through there that it was like that there are plays as a one time for one season flag football coach. There are a couple plays that I was like, wait till we get to this situation. I'm gonna call this play. It felt clear to me that they were like, all right, I'm holding on to this. But when we get to this situation, we're going to call this play. And you're not going to have to think. You can take this play off. Just play action, throw it to the flat. And he did it. And I think that's, again, the formula for success for the Packers right now. It's like when when you're not behind trying to mount a furious comeback, when you have pass protection, everything's on the table as a play yeah. caller. When you're a threat to run, as they were because they were playing with a lead, it's just so much easier for, for Matt LaFleur. And then he can flex because he is an extremely creative play caller. Um, 
with some of the run pass stuff. So, and I think you saw that in this game because everything was on the table for him. And then he had a quarterback who was executing, who was throwing accurately uh, and those concepts. And it, yeah, it's just, it, it looked really good. So we'll see again, not a good defense. They're about to play the Chiefs. I'm going to talk about that later in the week, but uh, it's, it, if you're a Packers fan, you know, you feel pretty good about what you're seeing right now. Measuring stick game. <laughs> love name games. It's a measuring uh, stick game for them. They're cliches because they're true. Just like yeah. my long, my long Eagles just win. Take. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Dominique, uh, great to have you back. As much as I joked about your absence, you guys should check out the Dominique Foxworth show. Uh, also, wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, I might make an appearance here. I don't know when we haven't actually held yeah. that down. But soon. We'll see. Well, you'll be back here next week. Thank you so much for joining us, as always. Thank you. Wow.